Damn Good Podcast is brought to you by GameTime, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Ticket prices drop right before the game starts, and because GameTime tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, they're able to show you the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. The GameTime app is simple, quick, and easy to navigate. Download the GameTime app in the Google Play or App Store and score last-minute tickets up to 60% off. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face. All right, everybody. Welcome to the Damn Good Podcast. This is Seth Emerson. Rennie Curran's over there. We are here to somewhat discuss the not very damn good performance by Georgia in the SEC Championship. We will not bring you down too much. We will not dissect the game in total detail. Rennie, let me start with you. Uh, You were a little more bullish than me, probably a lot more bullish than me on Georgia's chances. What did you see? Yeah, man, it it was definitely uh, disheartening. I feel like... um we definitely had a chance going in, but um, they just immediately came in and, and uh, captured the momentum. And they had a few plays that, of course, went their way that kind of led to that. I think early on there's a play where Burroughs, he uh, you know, tried to make a pass. It bounced off of, I think, of a defensive lineman's hands or something. Yeah. And then he still ended up <laughs> retrieving it and then gets a major explosive play. So, I mean, things like that. Uh, that happened early on that kind of give you that confidence and momentum and it, it becomes a train that's hard to stop especially with an already good team and then we we did some things to really shoot ourselves in the foot um defensively uh you know offense didn't, didn't do a lot but i think defensively too we we gave them some big plays that kind of opened things up and and uh, really helped them to separate themselves because i felt like we were doing a, a decent job early on in the game until a few big plays happened um you know, and, and then the plays where we got caught out of position uh, in the end zone and whatnot. And then, of course, turnovers never help. But, yeah, overall, right. it, it was just a, you know, a game that got out of hand quickly, man. The momentum favored them and they had things go their way. And then it just kind of went from there. It was it was a bad matchup for Georgia. And LSU is a bad matchup for a lot of teams. I mean, they may win the national championship. But this this, a lot of things that, I think I was afraid of for Georgia's sake were born out. And I say this as, look, I'm wrong a lot of times. I was skeptical about Georgia's defense throughout the year. And then by game 11 and 12, I'm sitting, sitting here saying, all right, all right, I give up. Uncle, I'm, I was wrong. Georgia's defense really good. But one thing I said that was bad about the LSU matchup is they had not faced, not only had they not faced a quarterback as good as Joe Burrow or in his ballpark, they hadn't faced a team that passed to set up the run. And Georgia's defense was predicated on stopping the run at least that was the strongest part and LSU was going to say well we don't really need to run we can pass really well and that was borne out um so it it was a bad matchup from that perspective and uh you know just that that's what happened on that end and then on the offensive end they were I mean they went in there without Lawrence Cager they didn't have George Pickens for a half by the time George Pickens was able to play it was 20 to 3 uh, they DeAndre Swift was banged up and, and clearly just not 
you know, they never ran him between the tackles, Rennie. So he wasn't ready to go. Dominic Blaylock tears his ACL. And then Jake Fromm is out there missing receivers. Tyler Simmons drops a pass. It's just, you know, Rodrigo misses two field goals. You mentioned the Joe Burrow play. It just was, it was not George's night. Yeah, not at all. I mean, after that, that play happened with Joe Burrows. And um, I think there was another play that happened uh, where I think he made a long throw. Wide receiver kind of juggled it and made this circus catch. And I was just like, yeah. you know, after. And then after Blaylock got hurt, too, I was just like, man, this is just not our night. And it's like that sometimes, man, as an athlete, you know, that some games is just no matter what you try to do, it just kind of snowballs. And all you can really do is uh, go back to the drawing board, and you, know, you can't beat yourself too much. Uh, can't beat yourself up too much about it. Of course, the fans are going to be disappointed. Everybody's going to be disappointed. And you, as a player, you're, uh, you're disappointed. But at the end of the day, all you can do is you know learn from the mistakes and take what you can get. And we still have a very talented team, so we just have to move forward from this loss. Yeah, let's let's move it forward. Um, first off, the the Sugar Bowl. I, I'm of the mind, having been there last year when Georgia was coming off that heartbreaking loss to Alabama, second straight year, heartbreaking loss to Alabama. That it, and, and at that point, they've got guys getting ready to turn pro. Justin Fields and Luke Ford are with the team practicing, but they're transferring. Um, that just had all the hallmarks of a no-show performance. I, and we're not going to sit here and break down the Sugar Bowl yet. Uh, that's not what this show is going to be for necessarily. But my immediately immediate sense is that Georgia may actually show up this time. Um, they may be a little bit more motivated this time because they're coming off a shellacking rather than a heartbreaking loss. And this is their second straight year and the way they lost the Sugar Bowl last year. It, now, I think there's guys, I, I'd, I'd be surprised if DeAndre Swift plays in the game, to be honest. Andrew Thomas may be 50-50. Uh, maybe someone else or someone else doesn't play, but I I, I think there may be more motivation this time around. I don't know if there will be much more motivation among the fan base, but among the players and whatever coaches are still around, because Sam Putman won't be them. Um, I, I, I think that – I don't know if – I mean, the line was set at Georgia by seven over Baylor. I don't, I don't know that I would jump on that, taking Georgia and the points, because Baylor may be better than people are giving them credit for. But I do – tend to think the idea that Georgia won't show up is doesn't hold water. All right. Yeah, no, I mean, without a doubt, like you said, after this, uh, you know, deafening blow, man, uh, it's going to be extremely important for them to, to have that motivation going into this game because they're not just, um, you know, playing this for this year. It's for the, the guys who are still trying to prove themselves, those guys who have gotten a little bit of playing times, but they're not established uh, starters and not established leaders on the team yet, so they definitely have a lot to uh, play for. And then you got the seniors who are going to be playing in their last game, so they they don't, of course, want to go out uh, with the loss. So I'll be very surprised if I see guys like Swift and Andrew Thomas sitting out, uh, even with their their high prospects. They still have something to prove. Um, they still have, you know, it presents another opportunity for them to to continue to raise their stock if you know they are considering staying or going. That's uh, you know, something that's always important. Any film that you can get, any film that you can put out there um, makes a difference. So all those little um, details matter. Well, Swift isn't going to play. I'm pretty convinced of that. Whether it's the shoulder, whether it's just being advised to preserve his status, um, it, it's little something's going on there. 
because he there was a difference in the way they talked about his injury uh, between Kirby and, and and Swift and you know Kirby kept saying I thought he was fine he looked fine to me he was kind of saying that during the week Swift said after the game he wasn't 100 percent but he kind of stuck to that he it was like it was a line that he came in and said this is what I'm going to say and I'm going to stick to it um, and didn't go into much detail. So it's a little bit of a curious situation. Andrew Thomas, I think, like, I guess there's less risk of injury for O-linemen, so you could see him going out and playing. Um, he's just kind of that kind of kid anyway. Um, but he may be advised not to, you know, I don't know, that may win out. I mean, DeAndre Baker's first instinct was to play last year. He said that during the week, like a few days after the game. Um, and then I think, talked it over with advisors or whoever, maybe even Kirby Smart and the coaches, I don't know, and finally decided, well, I'm not going to play. I don't know if anybody else won't play, but um, I, I, you know, here, here's an interesting thought. When I think about the Bulls, which are continuing to be kind of devalued in the post-playoff era, and I don't know if it has as much to do with the playoff as people are saying. Because this is what Nick Saban, and I see a lot of fans and coaches say this, is that because the playoff, every other bowl has been devalued, and that's so why, that's why guys are sitting out. I don't think it's that, Rennie. I think it's that like Leonard Fournette, I think, started the trend. And Leonard Fournette said, I'm just going to sit out. And that may have happened with or, with or without a playoff. And the, the NFL, I think the perception was the NFL was going to downgrade people for that and say that he wasn't a team player. But the NFL didn't. They said, oh, that's fine. We don't really think the Bulls are important either. And so since then, it's been kind of a flood of people saying, well, if, if it's not going to hurt my draft status, then I'm going to make sure I don't get hurt. Um, I don't know. Th- this wasn't an option. I mean, it was an option, but it wasn't something that people were doing when you were playing. What What do you think about it? Right, yeah. No, you're exactly right. It, it really wasn't even a thought when I was playing uh, of sitting out of any games. I mean, if you are an able-bodied player, um, team always comes first, and then whatever happens after that, you deal with it as far as like your draft status and all those things. And for me, my mentality was any opportunity I'm going to get uh, to be on the field to make a play and to um, put some good game film out there to help my team win or to improve, you know, my, my draft stat. I mean, it wasn't even about draft status, honestly. It was just about uh, getting that win, uh, representing myself and my teammates to the best of my ability and making sure that, you know, I finished the drill, which is, you know, Coach Rick's whole thing. But, um, yeah, times, times have definitely changed. And, when you see the things like the injuries and uh, you see kind of the trends like you mentioned before, it can put that pressure on you, especially in the running back position, something as intricate uh, as that position where every play uh, is a risk, you know, and then your lifespan as a running back. We all know that the statistics um, in terms of playing in the NFL, only, you know, the average career span is four years. So it's like you have this window of opportunity where you want to get uh, as much um you know, tread or, or whatever you want to call it out of your body and out of your abilities as you can. Uh, and at the end of the day, these guys, man, it's not just entertainment. That's I think that's what fans have to realize. Like, it's not just, uh, you know, Georgia football and all fun and games. Like, these guys have families. These guys, this is their career. Just like anybody who's in college is trying to achieve their dreams and, and uh, put themselves in the best position. Like, that's, that's uh, what you have here with the athletes who are choosing to sit out. So it's not like you know, they're trying to be selfish in, in my regards, but it's more so they're trying to position themselves to be able to feed their family, which is what we're all trying to do. So I'm, I'm not going to get mad at a guy. I mean, I, I of course, 
want to see all the guys finish out what they started. I just believe in that principle. But at the end of the day, when you're talking about an opportunity like the NFL, where, <laughs> you know, and even playing in the SEC is like playing in the NFL. Um, you got to be smart, man. It's it's uh, it's a business at the end of the day. That's that's what I tell a lot of people, man. It is a business. Whether you're talking about the NFL, whether you're talking about college, it's no different. Um, and, and so I totally understand it, even though I don't, like I said, I don't necessarily agree with that principle of, of sitting out because uh, I believe if you're a player, be a player, you know, play uh, sun up, sun down, whatever, whatever duty calls. And if you're, especially if you're a leader, um, but at the same time, the circumstances create, you know, they, they create different um, just ways to approach things. So it'll be interesting to see you know, how it works out and, you know, how, how what he chooses to do. Well, I think it. If you're a fan, or and if you're a coach, kind of managing the situation, I think it's better for the program's future if the guy doesn't play. Um, number one, he doesn't risk injury, which means that when DeAndre Swift is a first-round pick, you can say, "Look, we had a first-round pick running back," rather than if he gets hurt and slips to the third, fourth, fifth round, whatever. Um, also. That's more snaps for Zamir White and James Cook, who are going to be back next year. I'm not saying that they should just sit all the seniors or anybody who's going to turn pro, but last year when DeAndre Baker sat, that allowed Tyson Campbell to start again. And Tyson Campbell had at that point been benched a few games. He got back into the starting lineup. Didn't have a great game, but it was experience. And not only experience in the game, but experience reps with the first team during practices. And that has that effect. I mean, in terms of, you know, Dominic Blaylock tearing his ACL is bad. I mean, it's not, I mean, he should in this day and age be back for preseason next year, but it, it, it sucks for him and it sucks for the team. Cause he, he would have been really helped by development wise, by being able to be around for bowl practices and spring practice and summer workouts. But it does mean that they've, they can figure out some things that, you know, give some more reps to receivers. Um, Lawrence Cager, the injury may have cost them the SEC championship for all we know, although I, I think even then that wouldn't have solved the problems on defense or some other problems. But the, these things, what I'm saying is, like, I, I don't blame these guys for sitting out, and I think in the long run it helps the team. Now, the, the counter to that is, is it sending a bad message? Does losing the bowl game itself hurt? Does it Does it hurt you going into the year? I mean, Georgia lost that game to Texas, and they still went 11-1. and one. Um, And so I, I don't know. I think there's history of Alabama had some years when they weren't in the championship game where they went to a bowl and got blown out, I think, by Utah one year, and maybe not blown out, but convincing loss. So anyway, I, I tend to think that it's not as as big a deal. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of agree with you. I mean, you never want to end the season on a bad note, you know, with that loss. But at the same time, one of the uh, the beautiful parts of the game is the fact that after every season, you get to hit that reset button. You get a new uh, crop of, uh, of course, freshmen that are coming in. You get the the uh, guys who are the younger guys who now get to go into the off season with some motivation and can build off of uh, whatever it is mistakes that they made. Um, and and you know, between I, I look at guys like Pickens, guys like Blaylock, like you said, they were hurt, but. The biggest jump that you make as an athlete mentally is from that freshman year to your sophomore year where all the information is not new 
but you're you're building off of the information that you already have, the the skill sets and the coaching uh, relationships, um, the experiences on the field. You're building off of that instead of learning for the first time. So I think, yeah, I think ultimately we'll we'll be fine, uh, win or lose, with this bowl game. But you know, at the end of the day, as a player on that team, you know, knowing that it's never going to be the same team again, knowing that you have those seniors that are there, um, that's what's the, the toughest thing is. Um, you know, you don't want to ever send your seniors out with a loss, you know, no matter how the, the season went, whether it's good or bad. So that's that's probably the biggest thing right there. Yeah, and I think it, it's interesting. Kirby had a quote near the end of a kind of a brief teleconference he had Sunday night to talk about the Sugar Bowl where he basically said one of the things they learned off last year in the Sugar Bowl was to take the guys that want to be there. <laughs> so I'll be, uh, I'll be curious. Um whether that means that you know beyond the ones that we're talking about the juniors turning pro maybe you know do they whittle the field a little bit uh are there or or was that kind of sending a message that hey if you want to go to new orleans and have fun at this bowl um you know show up in bowl practice in december and you know show up and show out and whatever they were doing that wasn't right in terms of preparation last year that they got to fix that. So that'll be, that'll be something to watch. Rennie bowl practice though. doesn't start till next week. Right now it's the coaching silly season. Georgia lost Sam Pittman. Um, I think, I, I think a lot of people surprised uh, and it's unfortunate for Georgia that Arkansas's coaching search head coaching search ended that way great for sam Pittman. we'll find out whether it's good for arkansas uh, but let's see about georgia uh, how much of a hit is this for georgia uh, it's definitely a big hit i mean when you look at not only his ability to recruit but also just his ability to build players i mean i've talked heard from guys like Kate mays and a bunch of the other offensive linemen just as far as how much of a motivator of a motivator he is and how he's able to build them not only as players but as men. I mean that's one of the biggest things that, you know, people don't think about when they like look at the coaches is how are their relationships with the players, how do they motivate them, how do they um develop them as, as men. And so that's probably the, the toughest blow right there. But I mean there's plenty of, you know, great coaches, uh and that's one thing. All these coaches know each other. They all <laughs> are connected in some which way. So I have uh, I have no doubt that there's, uh, you know, an assistant out there that's going to be able to come in and fill the void pretty quickly. And, you know, when I think about the coaches and just uh, how they're able to move, man, you know, a lot of the talk has been about the transfer portal. But I feel like a lot of people don't talk about how as a coach, if, if a coach gets an opportunity like this, they can up and leave at whatever point. There's no, you know, there's no backlash. There's no none. People understand it clearly. Um you know, so it's it's very interesting that dynamic of you know when a coach gets an opportunity, a head coaching or assistant position that's better, or whatever he can up and leave. No matter uh, at this point, because you know he's had recruits he's been talking to up until this time uh, that he's been selling the dream to about coming to Georgia and all those different things, and all of a sudden it's out the window if the right uh, opportunity comes. So uh, it's like I said, it's very interesting, <laughs> a very interesting dynamic. Yeah, and that that's the argument that everyone makes for the transfer policies and, and letting these kids go. And um, you see it again. I mean, he's improving his situation, so you can't blame him. Um, but yeah, I mean, this is why you, I think give kids a, I, I'm not, 
I, I don't fall in with the people who say that basically you make everybody a free agent when a coach leaves. You know, you, that's just something. Number one, there should be honesty on the front end. You know, I, I think there, there's sometimes too much of a used cars salesman mentality with these coaches. Um, just be honest. Recruit to the school. Recruit to the program. Recruit to the head coach. Don't say, I'm going to be here forever. I remember, and I like Jim Chaney, but I remember when he gave his one preseason press conference before the 2018 season, um, someone asked him, you know, it, it was kind of an offhand comment, but he, he said something like, nah, this is where I am. I'm home, baby. And you know, four months later, he's taking the job at Tennessee, which and then getting in front and saying the same thing. It's like, oh, it's great to be home. You know, it's like, all right, come on, look. Everybody's everybody's got a price. Everybody can get a better job. We all understand that. I love my job at The Athletic, but I've moved employers twice since I got on, back on the Georgia beat in 2010. It happens. I got better offers. I went. Um, and I don't know if I'm going to cover Georgia for the rest of my life. Uh you know, just just be honest about it. But also, number two, if a if a coach leaves, I don't think you automatically make everybody a free agent. That just becomes you know, honestly, coaches leave too often. But this is why you give players, in my mind, one free pass. As in, you get to transfer once without having to sit out a year, and it's up to the player to judiciously yeah. use that. I, I think. Um, I mean, in my opinion, I think uh, collegiate sports has a very uh funny relationship or like funny approach when it comes to the dynamics between uh, the experience between the, the players and the coaches you know it's, it's like a double standard and you know which you just alluded to especially when it comes to the transferring um so i, I definitely think they need to get clear on that and, and as we move forward um which is collegiate sports as a whole because you can't have on one side it's totally understandable to make a business decision um, when it comes to a coach, but then when it's a player, it's always, oh, this guy's selfish or he's trying, you know, it's messing up the game or whatever it is. But it's like, all right, so which one is it? You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, I, 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 I sat in Will Muschamp's office and talked with him about this last spring, just about the transfer portal and everything. And, you know, he, he falls in the coaching you know, uh, viewpoint of, you know, not really liking the transfer portal too much, or at least not liking kids transferring too early. And I, I get the idea of you you have kids that basically get homesick and too many kids want to transfer or want to transfer for playing time reasons because they want to play right now, not realizing that they, they can be patient and if they wait a year or two that they'll play. You can look down George's roster and, like, would Tay Crowder have transferred – early in his career when he was sixth on the running back depth chart and when he gets moved inside linebacker. Well, staying at Georgia ended up being great for him. I mean, he's he was a semifinalist for the Nagurski Award, I think, as a linebacker. Um, but do you put in a rule to prevent kids from making mistakes like that? Or do you say – if they're going to make that mistake, they should be free to make that mistake. I think it's the latter. Yeah. I mean, maybe not to transfer every year. I get that part of it. You know, you don't need Justin Fields playing at four different schools every year and kind of holding that over somebody's head. Um, but 
Yeah, give him yeah, one free I, pass. I agree, and everything you know is situational, man. You, you have like you like you said, a, a kid who may get homesick, or you may have a, a situation like we had a couple of years ago where there's, there's a kid whose grandparent or family member is sick, and they need to go back home to be able to help uh, take care of them or, or whatever the case may be. So I think definitely giving them a free pass. I mean, if we're talking uh, that this is amateur sports and it's about education and, and all those things. Uh, and it's about the betterment of the student athlete, then they should be able to make, uh, you know, decisions like that uh, if they're based on the right reason and bettering themselves too. Because the coaches are like going back to the coaches; they're putting themselves in a in a better position as well. If they have a job, uh, uh, opportunity where they can uh, basically be promoted or just put themselves in a, a better career path, then why can't the athlete do the same thing? That's that's my mindset, man. It's it's like a no brainer because you. Even though you can wait around, we all know how recruiting works. <laughs> we all know how you know injuries work. Uh, there's so many things that you, you can't really foresee. Um, and then, as an athlete, you have such a small window. I mean, those four years seems like such a such a long time. But by the time you get to the end of your sophomore year, you're like, oh crap! Like, if you're not on the field, you know, or, or haven't made any substantial substantial plays yet, man, then you're already kind of behind the, the ball in terms of you know, actually getting an opportunity to play at the next level and actually being able to monetize, uh, you know, the, the hard work that you put in it is not easy by any means. Uh, and then when you look at the work that you put in and playing at a, at a University of Georgia or any school at that caliber, at the time commitment, man, the, the commitment of uh, what you're sacrificing as far as your body, it's, it's no joke. And to uh, just kind of say, oh, just be happy with staying in this position where I'm third string and nothing's really looking uh, sunny at all. And then on top of that, I can see if you were there and still being developed and still getting the reps and still maintaining that relationship with your coaches. But in those cases where your coaches kind of write you off and they're kind of on to the next recruiting and doing what they have to do, that becomes even more disheartening. And I saw that a lot. I mean, players who come in, they're highly touted by their second, third year. They're kind of like an afterthought. They're kind of like a stepchild, man. And, And no child wants to go through that especially being that young, you come out of your hometown, you have your hopes and dreams. It's, uh, it's, it's very disheartening. So I understand both sides of it. So uh, let's quickly also just kind of address other stuff coaching-wise because that's, <laughs> that, that's the favorite topic right now for people. Um, we were talking about Sam Pittman and replacing him. I mean, by the time you're listening to this, Georgia may have a replacement because I don't think Kirby wants to let this linger. And there's been a lot of smoke about Matt Luke, former Ole Miss coach. He's an offensive line guy. Um, Maybe by the time you're listening to this, he has replaced Sam Pittman. Is he going to be as good a recruiter as Sam Pittman to the O-line? I'm not sure anybody will be. Uh, But Matt Luke, certainly a guy who people know the name. David Andrews uh, tweeted something about, being recruited by uh, Matt Luke, who I think was at Duke at the time, um, and and liking what his approach was. So I, I think that'd be yeah, – I mean, you never know whether something's a home run hire or whatever, but that would be a well-received hire if it happens. Uh, I guess the main thing, Rennie, is what happens otherwise. I mean, there's been some smoke about Dan Lanning and Florida State, maybe even Memphis – because they have a head coaching opening, but that was created by Mike Norvell leaving for Florida State, who apparently he's been chasing after Dan Lanning. 
my sources at Georgia, again, we're recording this Tuesday morning, so events may have outstripped us by the time you're hearing this, but my sources at Georgia have been saying, oh, they think he's going to stay here, but I mean, you never know. Uh, I, I, I think all I can say about that is Dan Lanning earned $750,000 this past year. He is not going to earn $750,000 in 2020. He's going to earn more than that at Georgia or somewhere else. And then the other stuff is what's going on on offense. Um, again, by the time this airs, apparently Mike Bobo will officially be South Carolina's offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. We don't know what happened behind the scenes. Did Kirby talk to Bobo? Um, did Bobo just not want to come back to Georgia? Did Kirby say, I love you, Mike, but I don't have an opening. I'm sticking with James Coley. We, we don't know. Um, I mean, Rennie, you were here with Bobo. Uh, during the years, he wasn't as popular. He became much more accomplished. That offense really took off earlier this decade. I don't know. What do you think? Or do you have any sources? Have you? Do you Man, have anything to tell I me? I don't have anything to, to tell you at the top. But, I'm, I mean, one of the things about, um, you know, with Bobo and just his experience, I think part of it was us not winning those big games, you know, which was the overall complaint of um, the, the Mark Rick era. And that kind of, um, you know, really dim the light on the things that Bobo was able to accomplish. And one thing that people don't really talk about was his ability to recruit as well. I mean, um, Bobo recruited me. <laughs> so, yeah. <laughs> so he, he definitely has an ability to, to do that as well, which is one of his strengths um, that nobody really talks about because they're so focused on the offense, uh, offensive side of things. So um, it, it'll be interesting. So he did go to South Carolina. Or he's, he is going to South Carolina. There's a. We're recording this at 10:50 a.m. on Tuesday morning. There's a, a two o'clock board meeting at South Carolina to approve his contract. So unless something happened between now and then, when people are hearing this, yeah, that's that's going to happen. He's rejoining Will Muschamp mm. and Brian McClendon and Thomas Brown. Wow. Yeah. That's. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean. It, it, we we could do an entire podcast and more just about this and about Georgia's offensive staff. Um, I mean, is it James Coley's fault? I don't know. I mean, we don't know how much control he has over the offense. Uh, we don't know if Jake Fromm is at a hundred percent. Honestly, I mean, DeAndre Swift wasn't. Um, we just know that the offense needed to get better, and and I think Mike Bobo would have made it better because uh, Bobo um, was accomplished as a quarterback's coach and developing these guys as a play caller. I mean, with Hudson Mason leading the way and, you know, Hudson Mason, I think he was a good quarterback, but he didn't end up getting a sniff in the NFL. But with Hudson Mason as the quarterback in 2014, they scored the most points in program history and Bobo calling the plays and coordinating the offense. Um, he gets raked over the coals for the Deshaun Watson situation, but Bobo did recruit him. They just got on him late, uh, too late. Um, and I think Bobo learned from that. I don't think he'd make that mistake again. Um, but as we're sitting here right now, it looks like they're not bringing Bobo back, or maybe Bobo didn't want to come back. I don't know. I mean, he, you know, this was the same place where they were late to give him a contract yeah that and i don't yeah i mean no without a doubt that has a lot to to play into it is the timing of it and um you know then of course the numbers always make a make a big difference um you know and i think with the payroll that our co coach current coaching staff already has man it makes it 
tough to to really a lot of times meet the numbers that a guy like a Bobo would want uh, as opposed to South Carolina. So uh, I think that may have had a, a role to play in it as well because, I, I mean, I don't see Bobo just passing up that opportunity to, to play. But you look at the relationships too. Uh, who does he have the opportunity to be surrounded by? When, when you mention guys like Thomas Brown um, and, yeah, and, and McClendon, Brian McClendon as well. I mean, that those are guys who he knows very well. We all know relationships are everything, especially in the coaching world. And if you're going to, you know, go in with guys, you want to go in with guys that you really trust and know extremely well and that you have that bond with. So I think that may have played a major role in it as well, without a doubt. Yeah, I, I, I think if there was a choice, I mean, again, there may not have been a spot at Georgia for, for Mike Bobo. I mean, there definitely is not officially a spot. James Coley is the offensive coordinator and quarterbacks coach. But I don't think he's choosing South Carolina over Georgia. He's, he knows Will Muschamp. He played with him in addition to playing with Kirby. He knows Brian McClendon. He knows Thomas Brown. So, yeah, um, it's it's a good situation for him. He knows the SEC East. The recruiting territory would be good. Whether Will Muschamp is still going to be South Carolina's coach next year and Mike Bobo is looking for a job again, I mean, I think that's something he probably had to consider, but I'm, I'm sure it's something he, he weighed. Oh, yeah. And, uh, yeah, that, that makes sense to me, putting him – Career-wise, in the best position to you know to protect himself, just in case, like you said, there is a head coach uh, opening. Um, so yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And then it's offensively for us, like you mentioned, James Coley, I think it's it's way too early to really put that verdict out on him as an offense coordinator. In my opinion, um, you look at how much talent we lost at the wide receiver position alone, and um, you know the fact that like we have so much youth right now, we have a lot of talent, a lot of young guys. And that takes time when you when you talk about uh, implementing an entirely new offense and putting in new schemes. Um, there's a certain learning curve that an 18 to 20 year old has to overcome in order to really thrive in an offense. And I think we'll really see the the true depth of what he's able to do uh, in next year coming. And that's that's my opinion on it. I think after this year, if we still are having the same problems, then it may be time. But I, in my opinion, I think it's way too early. Yeah, that's that's ultimately I think the the thing that um, I, I'm going to look into this later in the week I think with a story, but uh, the the history of teams doing well when they have to replace a lot of skill position talent is not good, and Georgia had to do that, and there were people who were not worried when Georgia lost all these receivers because of the people they had coming back, but. Um, even with talent there, with George Pickens and Dom Blaylock, uh, they were freshmen. Demetrius Robertson um, hadn't played much last year. You know, he he had more of a role, but not a huge one. He wasn't the go-to guy. You know, just they were lucky to get what they did out of Lawrence Cager. Um, I think they'll be back on the grad transfer market this year for receivers because it worked out pretty well for him this time. But yeah, that's I, I I'm not saying that bringing Coley back is 100% what they need to do, but I think you're right that judging him on one year isn't totally fair, especially when there are people who you talk to at Miami who say he did a good job with what he was given. Um, we'll see if he'll be able to do a good job next year when, by the way, they're going to lose Andrew Thomas, maybe Isaiah Wilson. Um, they're going to lose DeAndre Swift. Uh, we'll, we'll see what he's able to do then, assuming he's still back. All right, Rennie, anything else you want to add? 
No, man, um, I, I definitely, uh, you know, I'm disheartened by the loss, man, but I, I'm still hopeful. I, of course, I'm always going to root for my dogs, and so I'm still excited to see what this team has to offer me in the future. I think we, we got the, the right pieces, the right talent. Now it's just about continuing to develop them in the right way and, um, you know, making sure that we're, we're fitting in or we're looking back at all these mistakes and, and really trying to improve, which we all know that they are. That's what they're paid to do. So, so yeah, I'm, I'm just kind of waiting to see what happens next. All right, Randy. Well, it's a pleasure as always. And I, will, I guess we'll be back next week to talk about anything that may have happened between now and then. Maybe more coaching news, maybe other events. We'll see. All right, everybody. Thanks for joining us. We just stepped on their face with a hobnail boot and broke their nose. We just crushed their face.